I am jazzed to be here. I love being here with you. Yesterday was the occasion, watch this, watch the math, of the 45th anniversary of Kathy and our, my marriage. How about that? Did I say that right? 45. That's a four in the tens column and a five in the ones column. You know what I'm saying? 45. Now, she was not born yet when I married her. <laughs> it does, it's, I can't even believe that, but it's, it's a real number. I mean, do the math. 1978. It was a Saturday, and today, yesterday was a Saturday, so it's all good. We went snow skiing. There weren't, weren't high-speed quads then. That's how long ago it was. We had a great time. Anyhow, I digressed. 40. That's what we've been kicking around. We talk about 40. It seems to be God's go-to number in the Bible, and we found several different ways that 40 was interesting. We have 40 days and 40 years and all these 40s. What's kind of funny is last Sunday, right next door, right through there, we have Little Crew. What came in here was, was Crew, but Little Crew's over here, and the woman that leads it for us on our staff, her name is Charlie Mason, and she has a 15-year-old daughter named Carly. So Carly last Sunday came in and sat through the worship service the entire part and heard the sermon. And afterwards, she goes to her mom and she says, Mom, I don't know why you're so worried about being 40. It's a great number in the Bible. <laughs> and I had, I had Char Charlie's permission, by the way, to say that to you. So um, here we are talking about 40, all kinds of 40 things. And I want to do this. I'm going to take you in a giant sweeping survey of history of all humanity to, to get to the story we're going to talk about today, making sure we understand the umbrella, the big meta picture into which our lives and the lives of the people we read about in the Bible must be understood. So we're going to start with the Garden of Eden, and we have this picture that comes up of the Garden of Eden. Now look carefully in there. It just is a nice picture. It's a drawing. Who knows how to imitate? You see a man and a woman there in the water. And here's the th important thing about the Garden of Eden. There is no separation from the realm of God and from the realm of human beings. It's seamless. In other words, everything is right. There's no brokenness, no disease, no war, no famine, no nothing. Where God lives and where human beings live, they are together. And when you read the Bible and you read Genesis 1 and 2, that's what's going on there. We are unseparated, seamless. We are able to be with God and with each other. There's nothing wrong. There's no brokenness. There's no fallenness. There's no nothing other than enjoying God. And cool is what God does. It says, I'm going to make these human beings like me. The Bible says in God's image. And then I'm going to make all you human beings my partners in expressing the magnificence of who I am out there. And I'm giving you jobs to do and go do them. And that's what's going on in this garden. But, uh-oh, Something bad happens. A snake enters the picture. See if you can notice. See the snake's kind of nasty eyes at the top of that thing. Look way down at the bottom. You see the man and the woman. What happens is the snake dupes us. Listen carefully to what the snake's message is. You human beings don't need God to live your life. You don't need God to know what's good and not good. God's jealous of you. God doesn't want you to be fully like him. And so forget God. You can decide what's good and not good. The, not, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eat from it because you can be like God. And the only reason God told you not to eat from that is because he doesn't want any rivals. The snake is hissing lies. 
But guess what we do? Kaboom. We buy it. It's the default posture of every human being that's born onto the planet. That's where we are. Whether we want to admit it or not, our default posture against life is to say, I got this. I can do it on my own. And then we, if you are a Jesus follower, you've surrendered to that. And you've said, I know it's, that that's wrong. That's not correct. I do need you, God. And over and over again, daily, we surrender. Well, God says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. The human beings believe the snake and they fell, but I'm going to fix them. So we get this man named Abraham. Look at him. Just look at that. Little old see him, Abe in the middle there, and he's got a wife, it looks like, and one, two, three, four, five, and do I see a dog in there? I see a lamb. That's a lamb. So Abe, this little tiny family, and nothing about Abraham matters. This is Genesis chapter 12, by the way. Nothing about Abraham matters. He doesn't qualify. So there's no prereq for him getting picked. God says, Abe, dude, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to make you a big, huge, gigantic family. This is how they started. And in that family, I'm going to bless you. And your job will then be to go and be a blessing to everybody. In other words, the default thing that happened with the snake, I'm going to fix it, God says. God's mega plan is to put the universe back together again. And the default fallen human beings are going to be restored. We're going to be blessed through Abraham and Abraham's family. Look how it starts. But this is what happens next. Abraham's family gets really, really big. They go from seven to over a million. And we have Abraham's family being rescued from slavery from this brutal Pharaoh king in Egypt. And here we have a picture of this is a depiction of the people of Israel making their way through the Red Sea having been miraculously parted. Meanwhile, the enemy, the Pharaoh's armies, is about, they are about to enter. And we call this the Exodus. Now I get to do some Greek. You ready? I love doing Greek. X, E-X, it's a Greek preposition. It means out or way out. I mean, out or out of. Hadas, O-D-U-S, means road. The word Exodus in Greek, second book of the Bible, the way out. The way out from what? Well, firsthand, the, the slavery and bondage in Egypt, but also the way out of the human condition, the fallenness, the duping that we suffer from, from the snake. So with four cartoons, look what I've done. Surveyed all of human history for you. How about that? Huh? Is that pretty good or what? I want you to know that Easter is coming. And oh, by the way, we have a slide about Easter for you. Just watch carefully. Easter, this coming Easter, April 9th at 10 a.m. We can't jam the people in this room, so we're doing it at Tampa Prep. One service, April 9th, hundreds of parking spaces. Easter Sunday, April 9th, 10 a.m., Tampa Prep. Everybody got it? So you can go and you know you'll be able to get to lunch. So that's what we wanted to make sure you knew about, that Easter is there. But back to Easter and the word Exodus. And you can go back to that slide with the people of Israel. There, there we go. This is the second and final Exodus. See that cross? It's empty. And the way out, the road out of our condition of bondage and slavery and brokenness and fallenness the three-letter word sin, all of that, this is God connecting and delivering on his promise to rescue all humanity through the family that started with Abraham. And in we jump to another 40 today. 
this is a great story. You're going to love it. You've heard it before. It's the story of David and Goliath. And we're going to be reading in the book called 1 Samuel. And we're going to read a bunch of verses in there. We're going to have some fun with it. <clears throat> but what I want you to know, the backstory. The backstory is King Saul, like all kingdoms in that time and in that place, constantly are at war. They're constantly spearing each other, chopping each other's heads off. And the closest I had to a pair of socks, I didn't have any socks with armor or anything like that on it, but I got axes. So today I wore socks to show the military... Oops. If later, if you want to see my socks, I'll be happy to show them to you privately. We're going to, Saul is the king of Israel. And Saul is in a confrontation with the Philistines, and it's endless battles over and over again. If you read the story of the Old Testament, what's the point? The point is that God's big plan to rescue all people through Abraham, who is the father of the nation of Israel... God's big plan looks at risk, and particularly here, it looks like if it goes badly, the nation of Israel will be decimated by these Philistines. And if we don't have a nation of Israel, then we don't have a family through which the whole planet can be blessed in the mega plan of God, God's great project to put all humanity back together again and restore the universe. All of that's at risk. So here we have Samuel I mean, Saul, the king of Israel, standing on a hill over here with his army. And then we have the Philistines standing over here on, with their army. And between them is a valley. We have a standoff. And it could be lethal for the people of Israel. And at risk is God's plan to rescue all humanity. So in we go. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're just jumping around in it. You're going to like it. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Goth, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall, first round draft pick. <laughs> he wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. That's a lot of equipment. I don't know what his 40 went. It went from 4.5 to 9.2. But <clears throat> he also wore bronze leg armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead. The tip itself weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer, now you may be cynically wondering, what did that guy do wrong to have to be the armor bearer? Walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Listen to Goliath chirping. You ready? Standoff, army, army, valley in between. Upstands up this huge human being who's obviously an unbelievable warrior. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When King Saul and the Israelites, Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. You would be too. Watch what happens next. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army, chirping, chumps, weenies, I'm going to kill you if you played football and if you were on the offensive side, perhaps you've heard linebackers chirping at the quarterback. 
I, I can't say the kinds of things that linebackers say to quarterbacks, but there are things that they say. So lots of chirping goes on on football fields, if you didn't know that. Lots of it. And here he is defying not just these people, but he's defying the living God. He doesn't know that's what he's doing because he doesn't acknowledge the living God yet, but he's going to. As David, now we have this guy named David show up. David is later going to be the king of Israel. As David was talking with his brothers who were Israelite soldiers, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. And, of course, that was his practice. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, that is, saw Goliath, they began to run away in fright. Watch this, David. Here's what David says next. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told King Saul. I'll go fight him. Well, David is, is a scrawny, puny, five foot nine dude. Okay, I don't know, many people don't know this. But my high school football career was cut short by a tragic lack of ability. <laughs> when I started high school, I so wanted to be a football player. This is how big I was. I was five feet tall. Kathy is almost 5'1". I was littler than Kathy. She does not weigh triple digits. Neither did I. Literally. Now, there was another dude that was my size, and he was mean, and he could play football. I was not mean. I tried to hit you. It hurt. I quit. <laughs> but this dude played, and he just was a, he was 100 pounds soaking wet, and he could play. Anyway, I digressed only to say, David is it's not the size, by the way, of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Watch what happens next. David persisted. Don't, don't worry, I'm sorry, I jumped. Don't worry about this Philistine, David tells King Saul. I'll go fight him. Watch Saul's answer. Don't be ridiculous. That's what the football coach said to me. Saul replied, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and a scrawny boy at that. A good looking guy, a bright guy, a tough guy, but a puny guy. You with me? He's been a man of war since his youth. Now, David is now chirping a little bit. You with me? Think Farley Dickinson University. Think Purdue. Think the head coach at Farley Dickinson early before the game saying, we're going to shock the world. Did you, did you know he said that? Today they play at 7.45 p.m., by the way, Farley Dickinson. against FAU of all people. But a little chirping. And David is chirping just a little bit, but he's chirping because he trusts the living God. Now David uh, whips out his resume. Watch this. He has game. David persists. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. David is a shepherd, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. You've been out in the woods with a bear recently? I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he's defied the armies of whom? Of the living God. So David, yeah, is cocky, but David's trust is not in himself. David's trust is in the living God. 
the living God. The Philistines worship rocks, the sun, fertility. David worships the living God, the same living God that created this place we call the Garden of Eden and to which God wants to call us back and put all things back together again. That's who David is trying to pay attention to. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. He's calling the game before it started, David is. Saul finally consents. Saul again, remember, is the king. All right, go ahead. And may, and may the Lord be with you. Because <laughs> he ain't going. David tries on Saul's uniform. I mean, uh, yes, Saul's uniform. Doesn't fit him. He says, man, I can't wear this stuff. It's not mine. It's not how I roll. Look how David rolls. What's coming next? He picks up five smooth stones from a stream and puts him, them into his shepherd's bag. I did a little looking around, and some people think maybe it was as, the smooth stone was as big as a cue ball. Bam! Your cue ball catches you right up here, you're going to know it. You know what I'm saying? So he picks up five smooth stones from a stream and puts them into his shepherd's bag. And then, armed with only his shepherd's staff, that is the club that he used to beat lions and bears off of his uh, sheep and goats, he's, and his sling. He's got some kind of a slingshot deal. Good aim. He starts across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walks out toward David with a shield bearer ahead of him. Again, what did that guy do wrong to have that job? Sneering his Goliath and in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. I think ruddy-faced means he's nice-looking. Am I a dog, roars Goliath, just fuming mad. Am I a dog, he roars, that you come at me with a stick? And he curses David by the names of his, that is his own, Goliath's own gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yells. And that's what you did in those days in wars. This, the victims were simply left out to rot and to be eaten by wild animals and pecked peck at wars. Watch this. David replies to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. I come to you in the name of Yahweh Shaddai, Yahweh Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, calling the game again before it started, today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you, watch this, and cut off your head. Don't get offended. If you were alive in those days, that's what people did to each other. So don't, don't put your 21st century view on things. Allow this to be the way it worked in that culture. It was, it was not easy being a person alive in that culture. Lots of wars, lots of slaughters, lots of devaluing of human life. But what David is in the middle of it. I'm going to cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. The same thing Goliath just said he was going to do to David's bodies. David said, nope, I'm doing that to you. And the whole world, listen to this, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Again, David is saying that only God protected him from bears and lions, and now God ahead of time, David says, is going to help me beat you. And remember, all of this is in the great meta picture of will God fulfill his promise to rescue all human beings from the great gigantic fall that the snake started and will God bless every family on the earth through the nation of Israel which right now looks to be at risk of being decimated by an enemy 
That's what's going on here. And everyone, David, David says, everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. Exodus provides a way out, but not with sword and spear. The, 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 the means by which human beings would design to win or lose are, are sword and spears, but David is going to do it in some way miraculously. And God will give you to us, he says to Goliath. Watch this. As Goliath moved closer to attack, watch what David does. He runs quickly to the point of the spear. David runs, he, David ran quickly out to meet him. When there's trouble, David sprints to the front of it. And here's a picture of David and Goliath. I thought you'd like it. <laughs> we'll just leave that up a second. I'll let you just take that in. <laughs> Is that great or what? That's probably not a bad representation either. You know what I'm saying? Let's, uh, we'll, we'll not be able to get that. You can't unsee that. <laughs> so let's unsee it and go to the next line. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurls it, David does, with his sling, hits the Philistine in the forehead. Down he goes. The stone sinks in. Goliath stumbles and falls face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, not as people would normally do it, with swords and with spears, we just read. For he, David had no sword, and then David pulls Goliath's sword from his sheath, and then David takes his head off. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. So here we have one final image of David standing victoriously, on a, a representation of a deceased Goliath. And you see, again, the size differential. So here we are. What I want you to think about today is David running to the front. David sprinted towards the trouble. David ran to get at the, at the point of attack, trusting in God. And I want us to think about giants and I'm going to make a couple of suggestions about giants. There's lots of giants going on out there. And here's the point about the giant. The giant is opposing the great work of God here by threatening to decimate the entire nation of Israel. So there are giants in the world in the macro sense, and there are giants in your life and in my life in a more micro or individual sense. And that's what we want to be aware of today. So let me tell you about two or three giants, giants that I want you to be aware of, giants that I think you are interested in. So let's talk about global. Let's talk about Russia invading Ukraine. What, 20, uh, 54, 53, 55 weeks ago. So this is not a political statement because it's complex, the relationship between Ukraine and Russia. But we know what happened. Launch. And the bombs went into villages. They went into hospitals. They went into apartments. They hurt people, not soldiers, just people. And this is evil, raw evil. Now, here's the point about David running to the point of the sphere. Do you know what Christians in the Ukraine are doing right now today? Do you know what they're doing? They're running to the front lines. Pastors are running to the front lines. Christians are running to the front lines right now in Ukraine to, do, to give medical assistance, food, to give people a place to hide out, to rest, to help the soldiers. They're sprinting into the trouble. 
And you and I, we're not, you're not going to go to Ukraine. Some Americans have gone over there because they want to sprint to the front of the lines. And you're not going to do that. But you can pray for them. And you can become more knowledgeable about what's going on. And it's a complicated thing in terms of the, the international relations. But I'm telling you what they're doing. This is absolutely well known. They're out there going at it. They are not afraid. They're running to it. And some of them are being killed. And there are pastors and Christians in Russia who are now starting to resist because the Goliath is obvious. So you and I, that's, that's such a big thing that's hard. But I want you to be deeply encouraged and challenged even to understand that Christian people look at the big picture and they think, how am I supposed to respond? And the answer is like, David, I don't know how this is going to work out. I could lose my head, but I'm headed in. That's one kind of global or macro thing. Another one is a little closer to home, and it's the challenge of foster children. I'm a part of a little family that's growing in our church. We call it Foster Love. And what it's about is how can we respond to children who are end up in foster care. And the reasons they end up are terrible. It's usually some kind of abuse or parents got a drug addiction problem and the courts separate the child from the parent. Now, we've been watching Catherine, who's not here today. She had honor for almost two years. Now she has Darian. He's six months old, Darian. Catherine ran into it. She ran to the point of the spear of the battle. Now, I get an email about every, a text message about every other day from one particular thing. We had them here, Door of Hope. It's a foster care, explicitly Christian foster care organization. And I get the numbers. And there are 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 kids in Hillsborough County right now, half of whom are teenagers or older, who are waiting for a foster placement. And here's running to the point of the spear. If every single church took a kid, the problem would go away. It'd be gone. If every church took a kid, the problem would go away. Now, here's what you and I can do in our church. We, you may feel God tugging on you to become a foster parent, I, but here's what we do for Catherine, and she, has, she knows that I'm talking about her. Wrap around families. She needs help, and every family that's fostering a kid needs help. And we're going to run to the point of the sphere. And if you want to help, she needs help like cleaning her house. She needs either money to pay somebody or somebody to do it. She needs help for all kinds of stuff. And what churches do is they have families that do foster care and they have families that wrap around them. And we can administrate being wrap around families. If you're interested, I'm just dumping on to Kathy. You let Kathy know and she'll put you in touch with the foster. We laugh. I didn't know that was going to get a laugh. Kathy's helping to make it happen, but there's an administrator inside our little foster love community, and they'll make sure it's kind of it, that Catherine will get the help she needs because they'll ask Catherine and Catherine will tell them. What, what would happen if every church fostered kids and wrapped around the families in the church that fosters kids? Here's what would happen. The world out there, the Goliaths would say, I don't even like what you people think, Christian people, but man, how can I negate that? We'd be a bright light shining in the world. And Catherine is a bright light. And you want to wrap yourself around her. Now, I'm, if we can flood Kathy with help, <laughs> and that'd be great. But maybe, maybe somebody else wants to do it. There's another family in our church who have been in and out of fostering. And I don't see any of them here today, so I won't say their name publicly. 
Anyway, it's all good. Maybe you've done it in the past. If you've done this in the past or think you're wanting to do it, then keep, keep praying. So those are two kind of macro things. And uh, I, I guess the way I want to finish this morning is invite you to a, a micro kind of version of this, a micro Goliath. And here's, here's my suggestion to you and my challenge to all of us. There's, there is a micro Goliath in your life. I don't know what it is, but there's a giant, and the giant is scary. And this giant is threatening some part of your living faith surrender relationship to Jesus. And it might be a giant in someone else's life in your family. Like in the last four weeks, two, two, two or three weeks, I've had four different conversations with the giant of addiction in the life of somebody. And what happens with addiction is it ends up taking over because whatever it is that the person's struggling with, it doesn't care about anything other than itself. And the, clo- the people closest to the person who's wrestling with this problem are the ones that get hurt the most. Those are generalizations, but they're, they're accurate. They're pretty accurate. So there could be somebody with that kind of a giant. It could be a medical threat in your life or in somebody's life you care about. It could be that you simply aren't paying attention and you've allowed yourself to get sucked into anger and social media and political arguing or theological debate or somehow you're just losing steam and you're busy and you're exhausted and anxious. It could be anxiety, which is at a sky-high volume in our culture today. That could be what's going on. Here's what I want you to do in the micro sense. I want you to think carefully about Ukraine. I want you to think about how you can be a part of a wraparound family dynamic with foster issues. But I want you to think about the giant in your life. And here's the antidote. The antidote is to do the opposite of what the snake tricked the first humans to do. The snake tricked them into thinking they can do it on their own. thought that was me. (laughs) The antidote to the snake duping us is this. Call it my 15, M-Y, and the number 15. And this is the challenge that all of us have. I'm issuing it to you, and I'm accepting it myself. I want you to say, snake, away. I can't figure out. If you think you can run to the front of the lines on your own, the snake won. We can't do it on our own. David wasn't doing it on our own. He trusted in almighty Yahweh Shaddai, the God almighty of the universe. Not in himself. And you need to be alone with God every day. Every day. Don't tell me you don't have time because you can't be at the point of the sphere if you're running on your own juice. Goliath will win. So I want you to, I just want you to enjoy God 15 minutes. And I mean about half of that reading scripture and about half of that praying. And I want you to make an appointment, get your calendar out, put it in there and do not start your day until you do that first. And how many times have I said this? 952 million. And right now today with Goliath roaring at us, chirping, telling us we suck and we're wimps. We're going to lose. I'm going to cut your head off, says Goliath. You're going to lose the battle. And he's right if we don't do that. So we have to start family as individuals, trusting, surrendering. And so 15 minutes is what I want from you. That's, and you'll, you do it. Find a way. Go to the same place. I know if you have little kids, it's really hard. I get it. All of that. Find nine minutes if you have little kids. Run to the point of the spear. 
Run knowing that the power that comes from within you to resist, to call out Goliath, to fight back. It comes not from yourself. We don't fight with swords and spears. We fight with the presence of the living God. And that's who we want to be. Run to the front of the battle kind of people. Let me pray for all of us as we fight off Goliath. Gracious God, it is a battle out there. You have enemies. But you've won the decisive battle in the death and resurrection of Jesus is what we prepare ourselves for now as we get ready for Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And yet right now in our lives, in the world at large, and in ways that are individual, private, and everything in between, there are giants screaming, calling us names, cursing us, telling us that we can't do it, we'll fail, barking, and we're going to spend time with you so that we have you present. And we're going to find a way, gracious God, to address one of these giants some way, more than one maybe. And what we're going to be is people who run to the battle lines. And we're going to allow you to use us to be bright light, good news, love, forgiveness, reconciliation, service, sacrifice. All the things that we do when we have had you take up residence in us. Give us 15 minutes tomorrow morning, and the next morning, and the next morning, to be alone with you and full then of your presence that we might be giant slayers. We ask all this in the name of the King who is seated on the throne of the universe, waiting to restore all things back to the way they were in the very beginning. Amen.